Hello? Hi, Mom. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's the name of the CEO? His name is Santiago Jaramillo. And the name of the company? The name of the company is Amplify. Amplify. Okay. So what do you think folks are going to get out of listening to this one? It seems different in an important way from your other podcast. In this case, he came up with a story for his company, Amplify, and then he realized that he needed to add more to what he offered his customers to actually fulfill what the story was about. Mm-hmm. But what he chose to do in the end seems like a really good move for his company. This is the first time that I worked with a team. I don't know if Santiago was just being nice, but <laughs> where the CEO told me that the narrative played a role in their deciding and eventually getting acquired. Oh, you let the cat out of the bag. What do you mean? Because I wasn't going to say what he finally did. I was kind of leaving some suspense. You wanted to leave that as a surprise for the listeners? Well, it's fine. You're the boss. This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin, and my guest for this episode is Santiago Jaramillo, CEO of Amplify, which, now that I've let the cat out of the bag, was acquired after we worked together by the employee performance software company 15.5. Amplify started as a product line of another company, selling survey tools for human resources teams who wanted to know how engaged and happy and committed their employees were. In 2016, Santiago and co-founder Adam Weber spun out the company. They saw enough demand that they raised over $20 million from investors. But by 2020, when Santiago reached out to me... Deals were stalling. There just wasn't enough urgency. But we just had the sense that we had customers that absolutely we were indispensable for them. But our new sales were slowing down. And so we had this like, why are we so valuable? But our story isn't resonating anymore. And our story used to resonate. Well, how would you describe what the old message was? We were selling employee engagement and and a tool that would measure employee engagement for organizations and would then provide consulting to HR about the data to align executives around the known problems and coaching for managers to actually help them improve employee engagement in their teams. You start to see demand come off for this, yet you're also seeing there's some way that your customers are still loving you and you're wondering like, well, what's that about? We had CEOs saying, listen, I don't know how I would live without you because I used to manage by walking around and sense the pulse of how people are doing. I don't longer have that. It's remote. And so we're like, how are we indispensable to to people? And they're doubling their relationships with us. But on a new conversation, we seem uncompelling. We know we can change their world, but something about how we're sharing what we do isn't just fitting. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about where you went to with this narrative. Yeah. So we we began observing that our best customers would be the ones that it wasn't just HR doing this engagement survey thing, but where managers would actually use the tool and say, I actually want to know my team's engagement and I'll actually do something about it every time. There were the ones who improved the engagement score. There were the ones who stayed with us. They expanded the accounts over time. And frankly, we looked and they had the most successful, highest performance, highly engaged cultures. Yet managers are not the buyer. HR is the centralized buyer for what we were doing. So we knew that the manager needed to be a part of it. And we also knew that it wasn't like HR was buying these tools for the first time in our target market. They were on their second or third tool. 
and many of them had been burned that they had tried to go to managers and try to get them to comply. And managers would say, I, listen, I have my own goals. I have metrics. I'm busy. I don't have time for your like HR program right now. So HR would come and say, hey, we want to do employee engagement. And managers would be like, maybe, but I, I got a lot of other things going on. Exactly. The new narrative was that great companies are built by great managers. So it was all about manager excellence. And how are you going to talk about your product now as manager excellence? The, the first step is gathering context and measuring employee engagement. We do that with a six-minute um, survey we to understand are we highly engaged, are we low engaged, and why is it low or why is it high? So the second step is to pick strategically where are we going to have manager interventions take place. We then recommend personalized development plans for managers based on the data-driven context. So if that manager is struggling with one-on-ones, we are able to share with them a resource of, hey, here's some best practices on how to run one-on-ones. And the last step is managers get a human coach who turns development plans and, and content and creates some accountability. So the story used to be employee engagement and we do some manager stuff as part of that. And now it's about manager excellence and we do some employee engagement surveys as part of that, which sounds subtle, but it really was very different in what you were saying to customers. And it matched what people wanted, even these HR people. I remember when you were talking to your existing customers and they'd say, yeah, engagement is great, but what I really want is to then take action on it. And they were trying to cobble together some kind of management training program on their own. And when you said like, oh, we're going to start doing that, they were like, wow, that's going to change my life. That's the frontier. And if that can be personalized based on what each manager wants and each manager has that in an organization, oh my goodness, there's just so much money and time lost on just silly, basic mistakes of managing teams. We lose somebody great and it takes us a year to replace them and we lose two customers from it. And you're right. We would ask customers, we would do a loss interview. Hey, why did you leave Amplify? And they would say, well, you helped us figure out what we needed to do. We needed to have better managers. And so we used the Amplify <laughs> funds to pay for manager training and development. And we're like, oh, wow. What they really wanted was actually tools uh, and training and education to actually help their managers be better. You Interestingly, you had two salespeople be part of the kind of small team that worked on the narrative. Yeah. So we had uh, two really great sales reps that were not only playbook running sales reps, but are like startup sales reps that really have understood the buyer and, and growth-minded oriented versus don't change anything that prevents me from hitting my sales goals next month kind of a thing. And I thought that was great because then we had two people who were going out and, and using it. I remember one of the slides that was really working was you'd say, hey, you know, it's who is the frontline employee's main connection to the company? It's the manager. It's not HR. You had this slide that showed you know, HR would be very uh, much a part of the person's life when they're a candidate for the job. And then gradually as they come on board, it really becomes the manager that takes over and becomes the, their life. And that, that seemed to resonate a lot. That's exactly right. It's the answer to the question of why does this manager thing matter so much? And it's like, well, you look at the first 90 days and HR plays a big role during onboarding. But really after the first 90 days, when the, once that employee is on, boarded unless something is going wrong or they need help with health benefits. Typically, it's the manager, the 90 plus percent of designing and delivering the employee experience, not HR. And we all know that people join companies.
companies and leave managers. I remember despite that it was sort of resonating that way, there was quite a bit of contentiousness, let's say, on the team about going in this direction. Yes, this is a big thing. This is a identity evolution step for a company. The story really matters. There's sort of like nothing above the story, if that makes sense. It matters a lot because people join stories. And if that story changed, they don't like the new one. Like it's just to be concrete about it. I think there were people on your team who really wanted to stay within this. We're about employee engagement. Okay. Let's just say we have some good manager capabilities, kind of like keep the story the same, but let's just kind of tout our management stuff. And you were pretty strong to say, no, I don't want to do that. Can you talk about maybe why and then how you maybe brought some of them along? I think number one, the types of leads that we were attracting, they were shopping for an employee engagement survey. Because that's the story you've been telling and people came for that story. Exactly. And some concern that if we switch that there wouldn't be enough leads soon enough to hit this quarter's and next quarter's sales goals. It required a slightly different mode of selling. We had to sort of judo flip, I guess, the buyer in a, not in a violent way, in a very loving and good for them <laughs> kind of way. But like, oh, you think you need employee engagement software. Can we share our story? And, and you agree that it's actually manager excellence. There's also, I think, fear of change, just any kind of change. And this is a big change. And so I think there's that playing into it. To quote Reed Hoffman's definition of entrepreneurship, jumping off the cliff and building an airplane on the way down. Jumping off the cliff was going to be, here's our new story, and we're going to make a company defining bet on this. And it's going to take us several months to see if it truly paid off. I mean, we had validation from customers and prospects, so it's not a irresponsible bet, but it meant we need to double or triple our product surface area immediately. And we need to probably make some promises <laughs> that we haven't yet built and we're going to build it by the time that we get there. And that is a, an uncomfortable place. For me, the new direction is frankly the only one that I wanted to be a part of. <laughs> the, the only one that I would wake up in the morning and be truly excited about pursuing because it was, I, I believed, the way to make a difference in the world and to have a shot at becoming a, a really massive force. And not everyone's, I guess, incentives or motivations are in that same place. And so when that happens, so you persuade and influence and ask team members to disagree and commit. Give me your perspective and please give it to me straight. But also let's be clear on who the decision maker is. And once we make the decision, we're committing fully and we're locking arms and this is the direction. And if this is the direction that is right to you, then like, we'd love for you to be a part of it. But if not, then we have to acknowledge that you joined a different story and I weighed the risk and reward and found it worthwhile and not everyone's computation landed there. I love how you just put it in that you said you joined a, a different story as if like the company is the story and isn't it? Yeah. So a few months after we worked together, I remember I looked at your website and saw that old story that was still about engagement. And I was like, hmm, I guess this narrative didn't really take hold. And I emailed you and you wrote back, actually, it's taken hold in a really great and different way. And that's when you told me that the narrative played a role in your getting acquired by 15.5. 
We looked at how long it would take us to fully pay off on all of the goodness of manager excellence. And we realized it was a couple of years out. And then we looked at 15.5 because we were using them as one of their customers and they had manager training and cohort of, of high potential managers. They had everything that we would build for the next three years already. So David Hassel is the CEO of 15.5. is an amazing visionary leader and cultural leader. 15.5 originated from the a very simple idea that if you could actually get a manager and a direct employee talking about how was the week? How did you feel? What did you accomplish? What were the blockers? He understood that that connection between the manager and the employee was the key leverage point that moved the world. (laughs) And so he already deeply believed in this world that great managers build great companies. So when I shared, here's what we're about, and here's what we think is the game that's worth playing, it was like, we have the same game. Uh, and it's almost like we, we, we joked about this. It's almost like we came up with the same 10-year strategy, and we were like five years into our 10-year strategy, and we're solving problems from opposite ends, mm-hmm. and we're just mm-hmm. converging in the middle. <laughs> and then we're, we're either going to fully compete with each other, because we each have to build each other's stuff. Or we can actually accelerate that trajectory and have the full platform today. This was the first time I heard of where the strategic narrative kind of pointed out like, hey, we should get acquired if we want to deliver on this vision that we had. We were having internal discussions at 15.5 about the new strategic narrative is, and it's been really interesting to reflect about what pieces are already pretty much there from our work together at Amplify. And so I think it, it really helped with, we saw the world in the same way, but we realized that we had functionality that was extremely complementary. Congratulations on the acquisition and your new role at 15.5 and the chance to make this story a reality if in a a different way than initially we expected, Uh, but one that sounds like it's got a lot of great challenges and adventure for you. For sure. It is uh, beyond my wildest dreams. I thought that the best thing ever could be for us to actually build all that stuff ourselves. And it turned out that we could do it uh, with much less risk way faster and with just really amazing people. And thank you, Andy. This, I don't think could have gotten there on our own. This is hard stuff. And it's helpful to have a coach along the journey who's done it before. And because a few mistakes uh, here and there, natural beginner mistakes can really derail it uh, in sometimes permanently, (laughs) irreparably. And for you to be able to point out the sort of killer potholes to avoid them was really helpful. You're welcome. And thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. Any advice you have for CEOs who are going down the path? I think it's the courage to decide and not make it about consensus. If you've gathered great data and your gut is running all that data through your filter, and this is a story that I'm more excited to get out of bed to go fight for every day, trust that sense and have the courage to ask folks to disagree and commit, explain why, truly listen, make them feel heard, and and truly understand and reflect back what you understood and tell them why you weighed all that and why you decided differently and make the call and make it clear that this is the new single source of truth. But if you do the first stuff of divergence and listening and understanding well, and you don't end up deciding, then you'll end up with some um, Frankenstein by uh, committee or some direction that at the end of the day, isn't fully authentic to your vision. That's such a great final point. As you can tell, I don't know if it was easy for Santiago to rally his troops behind him, but 
He really lived his convictions, and I think everybody is happy with the outcome. And I learned that when you build a strategic narrative, sometimes you may need help to get buyers to the promised land you've defined. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela May Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Santiago. Santiago, I won't butcher your last name again. And everyone at Amplify. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Richard Raskin, Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, Howard Goldman, Victoria Zenoff, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company story is the company strategy.